Dennis Sarfate making his first appearance. What will you do to defend the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Welcome to the Green Dragon Tavern, where we talk a little treason. I'm Zach Lautenschlager. And I'm Dennis Sarfate. It is skiing season, spring skiing season, in Utah, where I live, which means sunburn is uh, part of the reality. Stacey Abrams, failed candidate, uh, two consecutive runs for uh, governor of Georgia, both of which she has lost, and the last one of which she is in debt for, still uh, at a million dollars. Stacey has um, failed upward once again, uh, landing a new job as senior counsel counsel at Rewiring America, a dark money environmental group uh, that is largely responsible for pushing the gas stove ban. So if you think that issue is done, uh, think again. It's coming back around. Rewiring America is uh, an organization dedicated to quote-unquote achieving net zero economy in the United States, which is uh, uh, a lot of smoke and mirrors. From my perspective, a lot of smoke and mirrors. Um, Claiming that we could uh, force everyone to uh, go all electric uh, is laughable. It's absolutely laughable. Not only is it laughable right now, where we can hardly, in some parts of the country, run um, uh, all of our um, uh, air conditioners during the summer, let alone plug in our cars. Uh, We're also facing problems, serious problems, for actually generating that electricity, um, according to their models, in which they claim that burning clean coal, for example, is still a big problem. They want everything to be nuclear or wind or solar or uh, maybe hydroelectric, but then the problems are that places like the Sierra Club are opposing good, solid-looking plans for recharging the uh, water surplus in Lakes Mead and Powell, which is where a huge amount of the hydroelectric energy comes from for the Southwest and California, many of the places that are having problems with um, turning on your air conditioner even. Um, And then you've got the nuclear problem. We still live under Cold War era requirements, which force every nuclear power plant in the U.S. uh, to uh, use um, methodologies or or nuclear um, uh, power generation methodologies that then create large amounts of nuclear waste. We're talking about spent fuel rods that, if left unattended, would create their own little dirty bomb, and sometimes a large dirty bomb. Right now, all of those spent fuel rods, or most of them, are sitting in these monitoring ponds in which they are encased in in different materials, lead, etc., but then they have to be submerged in water, which is circulated and tended in order to keep things from overheating. If those ponds ever stopped being tended, um, you would have a Fukushima-level event. There would be serious problems. Um, and so the solution for that problem that's been created is to, or that's been pursued, is to create places like Yucca Mountain in Nevada where you could use more permanent storage solutions. You'd have enough room. You could keep the waste away from groundwater, and you could encase it in something permanent that then wouldn't have to be constantly monitored other than to keep people from stealing it. The problem is that you have to get all of the spent fuel from these ponds all over America to wherever we're going to consolidate them all and make them more safe. That is a very dangerous proposition and something no one has been willing to try yet. Um, Think about uh, the Ohio train crash, except instead of vinyl chloride burning off into the atmosphere, you have 
uh, Fukushima because um, the casks carrying that nuclear waste broke open. They started reacting with one another. And you have not only massive amounts of radioactive waste spewed into the air, which could cover <laughs> thousands of square miles, potentially, it's also now creating its own self-sustaining um, nuclear blob, which can melt through uh, a lot of things, including uh, multiple layers of the surface of the Earth, potentially. Now, admittedly, that's a worst-case scenario, um, but this is why it's taken seriously enough to where no one in the nuclear power industry wants to ship their stuff to one central location. So you have this ongoing problem, and no one, no one in the environmental movement is talking actively. No one's actually pursuing it. No one's putting money into repealing the Cold War era regulations and federal interventions, forcing us to use a very uh, terrible way of creating nuclear energy. The technology does exist. It actually is in use in other parts of the world. France is, is one place that reportedly is using clean or cleaner nuclear energy and they are using pellets instead of rods which oversimplified for sure um, but those pellets can be recharged and reused you don't have to just throw them away when you're done and have them sit around for oh you know 10,000 years or so while they actively give off uh, deadly radiation so one has to ask the question why do we have uh, someone like Stacey Abrams who is a, is a failure at most of what she's done, now running or highly placed at an organization which is focused not on fixing problems, but on using more government invention in order to force people into a system that is easily controlled. Raises a lot of questions. Yeah, Stacey Abrams, you know, her political gains in Georgia, um, the voting, you can go back to her voting, calling voting, uh, racist Jim Crow with a suit and tie was uh, one of her quotes. Got the MLB All Star Game moved out of Georgia because, uh, well, because voting has something to do with the All Star Game and it's racist. So let's get rid of it. Let's punish the people. Uh, this is a failed theory. Green New Deal. She's easily controlled. Obviously, one of her biggest donors, George Soros, has dumped a ton of money into her campaigns, losing campaigns, still in debt, like you said. Um, but let's talk about how are we getting all of these uh, these pools that they're having across the United States, all of the uh, fuel and all the uh, dirty um, stuff in these trucks, right? We're talking about nuclear stuff going around. Are they doing it in electric cars? Because if you look at lithium farming, <laughs> when you extract lithium and they're trying to make it, it contaminates the soil, it contaminates the air. And so now you're going to produce more electric cars. That's just going to put the, the level of the threat level up higher. So you're, you're fixing one problem, but you're not fixing it. It's more just government regulation. You're allowing the government to impede on your rights more, um, telling you how to heat your house. Well, we can't even have people in the Northeast that don't even have enough money from inflation to heat their house this year. Uh, when are people going to start realizing that the government regulating things like solar power in Arizona, we have... Um, we have contingencies in Arizona where you can't get solar if you're with a certain electric company. Uh, they've been sued. They've been trying to sue, but the government allows them to monopolize that that sector. Why? Well, because there's no money in for them. And now what the government's had to do was add in this, this new fund where you can get a tax write-off if you buy the solar um, batteries and you buy the solar panels for your house. You, you can't even afford it, number one. I just put it on my house. Uh, it was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. 
and I, yeah, I get a tax break, but what is it, what is it really doing? Is it helping everyone? No, it's helping me, uh, over a, a 25 year span. I might get my money back on what I just spent. It's not instantaneously. It's not like you're going to switch to solar and all of a sudden your electric bill's gone. That, that's not how it works. But why aren't they incentivizing things like that? Why aren't they saying, hey, let's, let's put all of this money from this, this green new deal. Let's put it into solar. Let's get places like Arizona where it's sunny 363 days out of the year, minus this day because it's raining. But let's get people to have solar on their house. Let's, let's get something working that can actually help the earth. Uh, getting rid of carbon print is going zero. It's impossible. Even if this country as a whole went to zero carbon imprint, we would literally be losing to India and China because of manufacturing. So no matter what we do here, the whole, the whole world has to do it because it ain't going to matter. That's exactly right. And you can look at it and say, okay, um, let's say we actually went to their imaginary unicorns and rainbows uh, technology that doesn't exist yet. Uh, in order to um, get to net zero, right? One forest fire is wipes it all away. One yep. forest fire in the U.S., the amount of carbon emissions created by one forest fire. And then you can look at again and again and again and again all across the, where, where I live, all across the Mountain West and into, um, into California. Uh, you have multiple huge fires burning now. And why is it that we have these fires now when we didn't used to have them before? Is it actually because everything is drier and hotter? No, this is demonstrably false. It is not drier and hotter overall than it was in the 50s. And yet when we managed our forests, when we didn't have the same environmental types, by the way, the, the dude that started the organization Rewiring America uh, that Stacey Abrams now works for, uh, his mom was a well-known Greenpeace activist. Guess what she did? Shut down logging, keep people from uh, actually managing the forests. So the same side, the same group of people, and I'm not saying they all agree necessarily, but the outcome, because they're all fighting for their little corner, their little piece of what they think is going to work, or what they say they think is going to work, um, it creates massive massive carbon emissions mm -hmm. and there is no way around it if we actually let's say let's say we actually believed that carbon is changing the environment i don't but let's say we do and let's say that we believe um, that that is causing warmer temperatures and drier climates and let's say we believe uh, that that's causing more forest fires i don't believe any of that but let's just for the sake of the argument say that that's all true what would be the solution we should manage our forests because you could keep less of it from burning you could actually thin it down. There, it's not hard to do. We used to do it. Mm -hmm. Now, does that mean we have to go to excess and go to uh, clear cutting? Absolutely not. That's laughable. Of course not. But to claim that the Sierra Club, you know what we used to call them? I grew up out here, and uh, I grew up in a logging family. We call them the Sahara Club because it's very clear. They don't want to preserve things. They want to turn it all into a desert. That's what they're going for. At least the policies that they pursue appear to be going that direction. And so if you actually cared about emissions, how could you say that we have to, we have to curtail all these human uh, emissions, which means that you have a population that is severely restricted in what they can do? It is a complete and, uh, a ban on being a free American. Mm -hmm. And yet we're going to not care about forest fires. We're just going to ignore them. We're just going to say, oh, well, too bad. You've made the weather gods angry again. How dare you offend Gaia? That's basically their response. Some of them actually openly say it.
those sane ones don't, don't put it that way, but they have the exact same argument. Well, the only thing we can do is limit human emissions so that we don't have any more forest fires. Uh, in the meantime, we'll just allow it to be overgrown. We'll create as many and approve as many wilderness areas as possible, shut down logging permits in areas where we could do it, and uh, just let it overgrow and burn down because that's good for nature. It's good for nature. Doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work. You know, speaking of doesn't work, Silicon Valley Bank collapsed on Friday, <laughs> uh, 16th largest bank. Um, they had a very inexperienced board. Um, Politically, they were uh, left-leaning. Uh, most of uh, their investments, they had a $5 billion uh, climate fund, which to me is a waste of money. Um, how did it collapse? Well, it goes back to 2020. Early, they had about an $80 million evaluation. By the first quarter of 2022, they were evaluated at about $120 billion to $140 billion. Well, what they invested in were funds that as the interest rates went up, those, those bonds went down. So their money, they actually lost 1.8 billion after tax loss was then put onto their uh, board and they lost $160 billion in 24 hours. Everyone got scared, pulled their money. Uh, you know who, who actually made out on this, Zach, was Governor Newsom in California as he celebrated the bailout from uh, Silicon Valley Bank and come to find out he had a winery uh, that was using Silicon Valley Bank. So another failed thing here by the government, right? We have government, <laughs> Biden took money from SVB. Uh, it's reported that Chuck Schumer took money from SVB. They were literally giving money out to a Democratic candidates and parties um, as far as the Biden, I think they gave over 60,000 to his 2020 campaign run. Um, how does this happen? Banks are supposed to be held in a checks and balance. San Francisco Federal Reserve was supposed to keep an eye on it. Uh, they were supposed to hold them accountable and, and, and supervise what they were doing. This didn't just happen overnight. This was a 12 to 15 month span. All right. As interest rates kept going up and up and up, the bonds were losing money. Right. No one no one came and said, hey, you know what? We're seeing an interest, you know, because then Sunday comes along and Signature Bank goes under is put on on hold by regulators. And they're known as the crypto bank. Um, I know plenty of people that are probably reading into this thinking, oh, the government here's the big reset. Right. We're we're in the, the beginning of the big reset that everyone was talking about during covid with it was just put on a mask for for a day. And now all of a sudden the big reset came about. I don't know where this is going, but it's the biggest bank failure since Lehman Brothers in 2008. The stock market has been volatile the last two days. Um, going in today, it was down 500 points early. W where do you see this going? Is this going to be another bailout by the government? Because it seems like the president and his cabinet and his party are all being paid by this bank. So it would only make sense that they bail this bank out, correct? The Wall Street Journal has already reported that the Biden administration over the last weekend and into this week actively opposed multiple um, private parties who could have bought out SVB and reversed the problems. Rather than doing that, um, they held them off, and this is according to the Wall Street Journal, while they brought in uh, the federal government, the FDIC, et cetera, et cetera, in order to go way beyond what they are uh, technically allowed to do ensure and restore accounts that are way higher 
um, than the $250,000 limit that was set in 2010 by Dodd-Frank in order to pay back all of his campaign donors. You have numerous campaign donors who had their money in SVB. Now, would they have all made all of their money back if private parties, parties had bought them out? No, probably not. Nope. And that's, but that's exactly the problem. Thomas Massey, Congressman Thomas Massey, said it best, I think. The last five days simplified. A group of wealthy speculators got upset that their money ended up locked into a 10-year obligation to less than 2% return. So they convinced government it was in everyone's best interest to help them out of their jam at the expense of everyone else. And that's exactly what's happening. And you have to understand that this doesn't initially just go to the Treasury. The uh, FDIC, Federal Deposit Insurance Company, was started in 1933 as part of the New Deal under um, FDR. And they were set up in order to uh, work as a normal insurance company, uh, but they would have the full backing of the federal government, of Treasury mm -hmm. bonds, etc. And so uh, after Dodd-Frank in 2010, the FDIC, which is how it currently functions, um, insures every account up to $250,000. Above $250,000, they do not insure them, they do not cover them. Mm -hmm. um, Dodd-Frank also required that the FDIC maintain 1.3%, it's actually 1.35, but slightly more than 1% of, of the money that they uh, guarantee has to be kept on hand. So you, you understand that the, you're talking about trillions of dollars um, that they are uh, insuring, that they are covering, uh, in 2020, it was 8.9 trillion. That's the latest numbers and reports we have. 1.35% of that is 120 billion. That's all that's there. And SVB is over 200 billion in deposits. That means that they have drained, they have spent all of the money that you paid into it because that's what these banks are doing. They're charging you, they're using your money, and they are paying insurance uh, premium or insurance costs um, in order to. Um, make sure that when they fail, if they fail, uh, the people who have their money there that the banks are playing with have uh, are protected. The little guy. That was the whole idea, and that's why it's set at 250. Because if you did more than that, it wouldn't work. You'd have to have these massive payouts from places like SVB, which are much more dangerous. And of course, um, the uh, wealthy Biden donors don't want to do that with their money, and so. What, what they've done is they've gone and they've raided it again, and they've said, well, we're going to drain that account. The account is now $80 billion in, the hole. in arrears. It's in yeah. the hole. And now what do we have to do? Well, we have to go and um, do things like uh, use operating cash, which hopefully they're doing, but then they have to borrow through the Federal Financing Bank or go and get a direct line of credit from the U.S. Treasury. Mooney's is already... Uh, Moody's already downgraded American banks. I saw a great uh, picture of what it, this looks like. It's a man sinking in a canoe because he's got a giant hole. And so he cuts another hole out to plug to up the, the other out. hole. That's <laughs> as much sense as it makes. And all of this stuff that you hear, the wailing and crying and screeching and howling from people like Senator Elizabeth Warren about how we need more government intervention. That's the whole point. That's what this whole thing is. Yep. I mean, how far back do we want to go? To I want to go out. talk about Alexander Hamilton in 1790 and establishing the first national bank. It, it, it's the same kind of stuff. And, you know, we don't recognize that we tend to think about the founding fathers as all amazing and wonderful, right? I mean, who hasn't seen Hamilton, right? It was great. I'm sorry. The reality is that Hamilton cooked up a scheme by which we would uh, vote that Congress, and this is what did, Congress at the, and you have to understand, Alexander Hamilton was the first secretary of the treasury. His plan was to create a bank that had $10 million, which back then was a lot of money. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and in order to raise this money, and and look, there were some legitimate needs. The states all ha- were were up to their eyebrows in debt from the war, and federalizing that debt actually made some sense, and the Constitution actually provided for it, and so it actually made all of that made sense. But the the entire scheme to do this under as, from Hamilton's um, fevered brain was to um, create a, a sale of bonds. Eight million would be open to the public, and the public bought it. And Congress, who has no money, would buy two million of it, and that was that two million would get the bank going. But where's Congress going to get the money? The bank that has no money, the federal bank that 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 Hamilton is proposing, is going to loan them money they don't have, mm-hmm. so that they can pay it back to the bank, <laughs> and that will that will somehow create money for them to operate in. I mean, they're bailing so, out. They're bailing out millionaires, right? They're bailing out their party. Correct. Could you imagine? Correct. That's could what you, Hamilton was doing. Could you imagine if Trump was president right now, and this happened, and we come to find out that SVB was a a right wing funded yeah. bank where they were giving <laughs> to full of Trump Republic, donors. was a full of Trump donors giving to uh, uh, Republican candidates. That they would be screaming. Chuck Schumer would be on the steps, screaming to let them let them fail, let them go under. Um, we are in such a, it's such a, it's in your face now, what Biden and his administration is doing. It's no longer a secret. It's no longer, hey, we can't let this come out. They're just doing it. And no one's saying anything about it. Uh, yeah, Ted Cruz said, Biden admin is bailing out the politically connected friends of the White House, convenient. And that's exactly what's happening. You can go down the list of donors that have gone in through SVB. The, they're getting their money back. They're getting paid through candidacy when they're running. How is this not outraging so many people on so many levels? It's another bank failed because the government has allowed it to fail. They've allowed it to come in. Now they're going to bail them out with money we don't have. It's just going to cause inflation. They're saying that this is not going to be a taxpayer uh, issue. Come on. <laughs> Look at the stock. Well, it already is. Look they at the stock the market. Yeah, drain the account. I mean, you, you sign up for a bank account. You always check. It says FDIC insured $250,000. Well, what people have $250,000 in their accounts? Well, it's many millionaires have that. And so they are, they're protecting what they, they would have lost that money, right? They would have lost it if they would have sold it to the private sector. Those people would have lost anything over right. 250000 So who are they protecting? They're not protecting the American people. They're protecting no, they're the millionaires. They're robbing the little guy. They're robbing the they're little robbing guy to the little pay guy. the big boys. And it's happening again. We, we keep seeing claiming. this. Yeah, exactly. All the while claiming that we have to have more restrictions, we have to have more more intervention. Now, do that's you, how this problem exists. They say. I mean, talk about. The, I know the conspiracies, and I'm not saying I believe in the big reset. I know many people send me, you know, articles on the big reset. And are we yeah. trying to go from fiat? Are we trying to go to digital currency? Is this a way that they can start to say, "Hey, listen, we're gonna we're gonna start phasing out of this traditional fiat." currency we're going to go to a digital currency that way we can monitor it we can everyone's held accountable because it's computerized and it's like is that what we're doing is that what, is that what this is the start of well the, the possibly but the whole thing it, it drives me nuts that now we're talking about and i'm not you know this is but this is the way it's being framed to everyone well fiat currency is the safe thing this that's yeah. the safe bet we don't want to go to we don't want to go to an electronic currency right fiat currency is why we're where we are right now that's yep. the problem. We left the, the gold standard. That, correct. And look, sh- should we 
you, you can point to the fact that uh, there were banks who ran on uh, some form of fiat, at least uh, in the sense that it was fractional reserve going back to the 1600s. Sure. Do I believe we should have government regulations saying that if you want to invest in a, in a bank uh, that doesn't actually have gold, that you should be unable to do so? No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that requiring and, and allowing, uh, creating a system in which you really can't do anything else. The entire monetary system is built on um, a fiat currency and then on fractional reserve. That's exactly what the FDIC is doing. Why do they do that? Because they want to use your money, the money that your bank paid, made off of your money, in order to make themselves more money. Where is that $8.9 trillion worth uh, of insured asset. Where's it at? It's out there making money for individuals. Yep. That's what's going on. That is what the Federal Reserve System is doing. And yes, is it is it complicated? Well, sure, in one way, if you want to get involved and, and profit from it, as as um, you know, a la Alan Greenspan, etc. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure, it's very complicated, but it's actually very simple to understand what they're doing. They're saying, and they're doing the same thing Alexander Hamilton did. Well, let's just say we have the money, and then spend it. Yep. You know what's and, comical? And it, you know what's yeah. comical about this? You can watch the show Billions, and I know we talked about this earlier. They had an <laughs> SEC officer in the building that was paid for, and so he would overlook things. Silicon Valley Bank had no official chief risk officer for the last eight months. That's right. Reported that, by Forbes. That's re reported by Forbes. Forbes. Forbes and Fortune magazine, all of them. How those people are put there for a reason, right? It's it's accountability, right? We well, that's the goal. That's the yes, goal. And when you have, the, when the you goal have a accountability. Up system like this, you need some accountability, right? The problem is, and so you have Elizabeth Warren on one saying, saying one side saying we got to have more restrictions, and on the other side saying, yeah, look at look at all the accountability and restrictions that have been in place. Did they work? Well. No, because they weren't being implemented. They just got rid of their uh, compliance officer and just said, "Yeah, that's it. We don't need them." Yeah, it's yeah. just like billions. As you it's know, the, just the, like it. the whole bank it, it was obsessed with diversity. They had um, they celebrated Pride for a whole month. They did the five billion dollar deal on the climate exchange. Uh, no chief officer. What I mean, they were just kind of running wild with no accountability. No one was like, "Hey, maybe we have this issue." It's almost like the teenager that's you know spiraling out of control, and the parents are like, "Well, you know, we should we step in?" The government waited and waited and waited, and then at the end, they seem like, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and shut you down." But you know what? Before we do shut you down, we'll make sure everyone gets their their money back, and we'll just fund it from the FDIC. I don't see this. Right, I, I see this affecting more than just the people that were, you know, they were trying to say that this is oh, held to so. just the SVB bank and, and now signature. Mm -hmm. It's going to be people that were invested in that bank. It's going to be the shareholders. I see this leaking out into the market, which we're already seeing the last two days. I see this leaking out into middle America and it's just going to start stopping where banks are starting to fail. There's a Swiss bank that just went under. Um, they need to, they need to let these banks correct itself by selling just let, let a private sector come in and let them buy the bank. Right. Exactly. Um, there are people who are willing to do so now. Do, do, do those have repercussions? Yes. But printing more money, doesn't do you make know sense. why we have inflation right now? Do you know why it is harder to buy groceries? Why people are struggling to heat their homes right now? It's because we printed 
what is it, nearly a, th- a massive amount, a massive amount of the entire national debt was created since 2020. Um, people, some people point out it's 27% or more. Um, that's, th- that is mind-boggling when you think about the last three years uh, contributing uh, such a huge percentage of our entire national debt for the entire history of the country. Okay, we're not talking about one one discrete period, mm-hmm. and so the the problem of saying that well we need more government restriction rather than saying okay look there are very simple straightforward things that government is supposed to do government is supposed to ensure or at least enforce laws which prohibit me defrauding you mm-hmm. the bank defrauding its in it its customers. The investors defrauding, or the the investment fund managers in, in defrauding their investment, their investors, um, are those the types of of accountability that should be required? Yes, yes. Government is supposed to uh, guarantee, or not guarantee, but enforce laws which require honesty in your business dealings. Absolutely. Now, does that sound oversimplified? Well, yeah, you could make that argument. You talk about how all those things apply. A lot of it needs to be worked out. But that's where it comes from. And instead of doing that, we've got a highly uh, elaborate system which enables certain people to uh, play with your money. And then when they get in too deep, as long as um, their political allies have enough power, they bail them out. Yep. And that's where you get down to, and you could say, oh, well, if Republicans were in charge, it would happen. No, that's not the way it works. Um, there is a uniparty in Washington, D.C. It's an interesting term uh, as a long-term political operative and a uh, federal lobbyist. Um, I can tell you, yes, there is a uniparty. Um, now, not everyone is a member. Uh, you can see insurgents from both sides, actually. Um, I would suggest to you that AOC is not actually a member of the Uniparty. She is to the Democrats what Thomas Massey is to the Republicans, mm-hmm. a pain. Now, that doesn't mean that I like AOC. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, congresswoman from New York, uh, supports uh, the majority of the policies that she supports are highly destructive to the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're highly destructive to her country. Uh, and so I oppose her perspective very firmly but she's actually pursuing things in a, in a possibly more consistent manner, which drives Nancy Pelosi and Elizabeth Warren nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you can go over to our side of the aisle, the Republican side, and you can look at Mitt Romney. Mm-hmm. Um, you can look at people, you know, it's only very recently that Kevin McCarthy has actually been giving anything to conservatives, anything to people who are not a member of the, what I would call the Uniparty. He was forced to do so uh, in order to take his rightful, quote-unquote, rightful position as Speaker of the House, third most powerful man in America, you could argue, at least third most powerful elected official. Um, And so uh, where does that, you know, where does does that shake out? Well, you have exactly the same same reality. And Mitt Romney has not acquiesced. He's the one who's, who's claiming that, well, this is... You know, this, all these problems, these are caused by all these, all these hard-nut radical conservatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
rather than act, than supporting actual accountability, what we're supporting, what the Uniparty is supporting. And uh, am I saying they're all together, they all conspire together in one room? No, absolutely not. But here's what we here's what we do know. It's absolutely verified. Uh, when they're all on calls, um, they don't mind asking questions like, what do we need to do to you know, use the power of government to suppress social media so that we don't spread any lies about uh, bank failure? Mm-hmm. Actual question asked by Senator Mark Kelly, reportedly. Multiple people who were on the call confirmed that it was Senator Mark Kelly who asked uh, what the Treasury Department and other federal agencies were doing to suppress free speech once again on social media. So what's their answer? Do we hold people accountable? Do we allow the market to, uh, to work? Do we recognize that if you invest your money foolishly, you can't depend on grandma all the grandmas in America and all the other little people to mm-hmm. uh, foot your bill, which is exactly what they're demanding. No, that's what they expect. And instead, we want to make sure that grandma doesn't complain about it. We want yeah. to make sure that grandma doesn't go get her money out of the banks because, oh my goodness, that would collapse the system and that would be the end of the world. Yep. 2020, well, I saw people go and go to banks and film it while they were going into the bank to withdraw all their money. And banks were telling them, no, they can't. You can't. Why can't you? Because if everyone goes to the bank today and withdraws all of their money, that bank would crumble because they take your money and they go and invest it in bonds and other high, high yielding um, equities and, and thinking that you're going to keep it in there for a certain amount of time. I, I dare you go, go to your bank. If you have X amount of dollars, go try to withdraw it all. They'll, they'll try and talk you out of it. And they were flat out telling people, no, you can't take your money out. But here we are. We, we, we printed off trillions of dollars, right, in COVID. We dangled, we dangled the fruit in front of the people's faces. Churches took money in 20, 2020, right? They were taking money. Why? Because the government was handing it out saying, hey, we got you. We'll protect you. We'll give you some. We know you're hurting. And they didn't think forwardly to 2023 thinking that, you know, if they print out all this money, are, are we going to have to pay this back? Well, no, you're not going to have to pay it back, so to say. You're, you're going to have to pay it back through inflation, through $10 dozen eggs to uh, $12 gallons of milk, you know, yep. necessities $6 that you need. $6 gallons of gas. $6 gallons of gas. You're going to pay it California back. California would be happy to pay that. Yeah. They're going to pay it back. I saw a thing the other day. Uh, a guy was going along the boardwalk, and he was asking people to sign on this petition that was going to give four years of free college to everyone that wants to go to college. And everyone was signing it. And at the end, he would say, oh, yeah, address right there, name, and then how much you're willing to give out of your paycheck. And as soon as he said, how much are you willing to give out of your paycheck, every one of those people signing that petition said, oh, no, I'm, I can't do that. Everyone spend someone is, else's money. Spend someone else's money. And the government is not spending their own money. They're spending our money. And when they spend our money and it's all gone, you're going to see a really, really dark time. And, and I think we're at the beginning of it now with where we are with inflation. The, the, the rate that they're raising the interest rates is so fast. Um, I don't see how the economy doesn't collapse at some point because it can't keep up. We're not producing that many jobs. We're not people aren't making that much money right now because you're seeing, because they're spending it right back on, on the necessities that they need gas to heat their home, food, gas to keep, to put their, in their car to get to work. You're seeing it and it's playing out right in front of us. You know, the evils of fractional reserve, and that's something that we were talking about just a minute ago. And I want to circle back on a little bit. 
Um, it, 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 is, it is hard for me to understand the value of fractional reserve banking for the people who put the money in the bank. There was a time when you could put your money in a bank and you would get enough interest on that money mm-hmm. to maybe be worth it. It might be worth it. But people my age and younger, that's laughable. Mm-hmm. I get my bank statement. You know how much money you make in a year on the money you have in there? A couple of pennies. 0.001%. <laughs> a couple of pennies. You have to have a lot of money to make any money at all at 0.001%. Mm-hmm. And yet that's the argument for fractional reserve. Oh, well, we, we you know, for, for, the, for the customers of the bank, the value is that you're going to get some of this money back. Yeah, well, that's not true. The other value that we hear is, well, this is how we, uh, you want to go to the bank and borrow money. Where do you think that money comes from? You're borrowing the money from the people who deposit it there. That is ultimately what's happening. You know, the bank creates these cute rules that say, well, when you become a customer, you sign a thing that says you don't actually own the deposit. You own a, a picture of it. You own a chimera. You own this thing that is sort of a deposit, but the money is ours until we say you can have it back. Mm-hmm. Now, if they actually try to enforce that, they know they're going to have serious problems, but that's what they say. If you look at how many of those are written, that's what fractional reserve banking means. That's how it often works. Now, I'm not saying that's always the case. I haven't gone to look at every bank. But that's what fractional reserve banking means. You can look it up. Everyone agrees that that's part of the picture. Um, the only way you can do that is by having a fiat currency. And by not, not just allowing people, you could have goldsmiths who ran their own private banks who then said that I will give you this note that says you have gold over here in, uh, in my safe. And as long as everyone agrees that they trust me to keep the gold in my safe, then they will accept this note from me and you can take the note and you can give it to someone else. That's gold-backed currency. Mm-hmm. But then the goldsmiths figured out that, hey, we don't actually have to keep all that gold on hand. So we write up a contract that says you actually agree that while we will give you gold in return for this, we're not going to keep everybody's gold here. We're going to reinvest that gold. We're going to do other things with it to make more money with it. And so, and that's where it came from. Now, do I believe we should have laws outlawing that kind of private interaction? Well, no. If you want to go and do business with someone on those terms, fine. The problem is when we allow our federal government to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a reason, from my perspective, for some hope. We tend to look at what's going on around us and look at some of the problems and go, oh, this is not good. You can't actually do this forever. And this is something that my grandfather used to say when I was a little kid. He used to say, this fiat currency and fractional reserve banking can't happen forever. You can't do this. You can't just create something from nothing forever. You are The, the federal government is playing on people's um, belief that America is a rich nation. Mm-hmm. And so you're spending that capital in order to enrich certain individuals, but not everyone. Um, and in, in, in order to do that, you have to degrade, degrade, degrade the value, the concept. And so what does it mean when somebody downgrades America's credit rating? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about um, people no longer saying, you know what, I think the federal government could actually just pay all that back. Yeah, we're reaching the end. And you can't live in the real world and think that you can do that forever. So that part's true. From my perspective, we're seeing it. We're seeing it about when uh, our grandfathers, who were paying attention, said we would see it. And that's a problem. That should be cause for concern, and it is. But here's the bright spot from my perspective. You have to remember, as I mentioned, that Alexander Hamilton came up with this kind of horse-pucky accounting to say that we're just going to trade these notes back and forth enough times to where you believe there's money in there. That's what they did. 
They said the, 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 the bank is going to loan, the, the central bank, the first one is going to, or the federal bank, is going to loan money to the federal government. Uh, where are they going to get it? The federal government's going to give it to them. Where's the federal government going to get it? They're going to get it because the bank gave it to them. It's like screwing the ends of the hose together and saying, great, there's water flowing inside this now, when it was empty when you put it together. Mm -hmm. That's what they're doing. So uh, some people say, well, that just means America's been evil from the beginning. Well, there certainly have been evil people who wanted to lie and cheat and steal and use government to do it. Sure. And Alexander Hamilton is one of them. There's no question. Yeah. Lin-Manuel Miranda notwithstanding. I like his music. He's a great composer. But the story that he's telling in Hamilton simply is not true. And it's not, that is not all of the story. And some of it's just badly false. Well, yeah. Um, and, and everyone thinks the U.S. is so, so rich and so wealthy. Well, there are a majority of, there's a, there's a minority of people that are that wealthy. But as a whole, the U.S. isn't. And the U.S. just gave an additional $3 billion to Ukraine. They've given over $30 billion to them in, in money, let alone what the, the gear that they've given them, guns, artillery uh is they're saying close to 30 billion dollars how much more money can we possibly give this country to fight their war on a territorial war it's not it's not something that we should be involved in i i believe i don't think we should be giving out money that we don't have especially when there's people here that are starving um with the money that we are taking from taxpayers to give to that uh what where's the divide with with ukraine right now zach you know, uh, someone that I disagree with on most things, Senator Marco Rubio, um, who is making the argument that there is a national security interest in the Ukraine, in Ukraine, and it's the you know it's not the number one national security interest. However, he says, mm -hmm. he says it's an important one, but it's not unlimited. It's not sixty billion dollars every six months. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, <laughs> no one actually thinks you could give sixty billion every six months. That's uh, it's a bit of hyperbole, but recognize that even strong proponents of continuing to give money to the to, to Ukraine um, are admitting that, yeah, this isn't inexhaustible. We don't have just endless reason to be there. Mm -hmm. We agree. I think everyone agrees on that. But the problem is there's there's been so much hype around it. And look, let's talk about um, the, what was it? The ghost of Kiev, wasn't that what it was called? The, mm -hmm. the fighter pilot was supposed yep. to be shooting down MiGs, right? Yeah. Um, look, I thought that was a tremendous piece of propaganda. What an awesome story. That's yeah. the type of story that makes your heart beat a little faster and it gets a little teary-eyed. I admired it simply for the value of the propaganda. You can look at that and go, wow, that's some real artistry. And I, and I posted about it at that time and said, we're going to be alive. We can tell our kids we're alive when we saw this level of propaganda going out. But the problem is, apparently... Most of us didn't look at that and go, wow, what a beautiful piece of propaganda that's probably absolutely false, and that has been proven to be false. Now, whether it was true or false, it doesn't really matter. Uh, let's say it was completely true. That doesn't mean that we should be uh, watching our citizens uh, have serious financial trouble while we are uh, sending that money. And I'm not saying the federal government should be investing that money here. I'm saying they should stop stealing it out of our bank accounts, stop, stop stealing it from the GDP, by spending it when they don't have it. Mm -hmm. That's that's what's going on. And so, look, I agree with Ron DeSantis, and I'm pulling up the quote now. We cannot prioritize intervention in an escalating foreign war over the defense of our own homeland, especially as tens of thousands of Americans are dying every year from narcotics smuggled across our open border and our weapons arsenals critical uh, are critical for our own security are rapidly being depleted. You know, that I agree. Mm -hmm. I 
I don't think we should have sent any of the money. That's my perspective. That may yeah. be offensive to some. Some may think we should be supporting Ukraine. Uh, are there ways to support Ukraine without stealing it from the American populace? Sure. Yes, there are. And yes, we should. Uh, would I be interested? Do I think that it would be a good idea perhaps to uh, institute sanctions against Russia, for example, even though we know that could cause fuel prices to go up temporarily? Well, yes, if we were doing things, uh, if we had been continuing to do things, and we're doing them now, uh, that would provide fuel from other parts of the world, from our own patches, for example, from drilling in Alaska. Sure, yes, that's the type of thing that we should talk about. That's a constitutional activity that does not involve directly stealing from people. Mm -hmm. So... Now we can make the argument, should we have sent them some money? Should it be different? We already send a lot of people money. Shouldn't we send it there? Okay, yeah, we can have those discussions, and I'm not going to say that, that I disagree at 100%, but I do disagree with a basic concept that says America should be sending foreign aid to as many places as possible or to, to anywhere but some very specific places. Uh, it's just wrong. It's wrong because you are stealing from your neighbor. You are, uh, it's just not you doing it. You are allowing your government to do it. Yeah. It's and like, it's like me going to yes. my neighbor's house and just taking their food and start passing it out to people that are homeless. Yes. That is it's not It's like my, commissioning the local police to do it for you. That's right. Uh, there are so many red flags in this. First of all, we gave them billions, billions of dollars unaccounted for. We don't ask them what they're spending it on. Their president Zelensky has silenced his opposition party. It's known, well-known, it's, it's already been publicated, all that. The other part is this guy has done interviews with, he's hosting in celebrities, movie stars are going into Ukraine and, and meeting with him, and then he comes to the, what did he go to the Oscars or the uh, Emmys? He's gone into the White House, he spoke on the floor and told them that he better, they better give more money. We're literally like, he's the bully and we're the poor, poor kid in, in school and he's just telling us what to do and we're just saying, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll do it. We can't keep spending money we don't have. We don't have $30 billion to give another country. We have an open border. We have China who's tempting us. I mean, Russia's even tempting us. They just, what, their pilot just in a, um, collided with one of our drones, took it down yep. in the Black Sea, or the, yeah, it was the Black Sea or the Dead Sea. How, how can we keep doing what we're doing and survive under this administration. I saw Trump tweet. He says, well, if I was president, Russia would be in check right now and they wouldn't have never invaded in Ukraine. I actually kind of agree with him. When he was president, he was such a, a, a just an, a ready to explode at one second that people didn't really know if this guy was crazy enough. Is he really going to do what he says he's going to do? But Russia was at bay. Russia was at bay. China was at bay. And here we are, People are testing us. We had an unidentified object shot down by our uh, military that was surveillancing uh, all over the U.S. People are pushing to see where we are. Are we strong? Are we strong military-wise? Because we're just getting, we're getting, we're getting duped. Ukraine's duping us. We're giving them our money. Uh, we're in bed with China. It's, it's really sad to see where we're at right now. You know, the, there are many ways in which you and I both disagree with President Trump. There are many things that, uh, that we differed on. His, his uh, actual actions on gun control are appalling mm -hmm. and continue to be some of the most shameful activities for Republicans. Um, although you can argue that, uh, that George W. Bush did far worse. 
Um, but in this case, I agree. And, um, you know, I'm not here. The reason I say that is because I don't believe in supporting any political actor at 100%. Mm-hmm. I, it doesn't work that way. I'm, I don't believe in supporting uh, any party at 100%. I don't believe in supporting any uh, human being at 100%, mm-hmm. perhaps other than my wife. <laughs> but this, the reality is that Trump is absolutely correct here. It's interesting. He was asked... Uh, I believe this was a survey from Tucker mm-hmm. um, asking all uh, declared and likely presidential candidates their opinion on Ukraine. Uh, and I quote from uh, part of Trump's uh, statement. But the sad fact is that due to a new lack new lack of respect for the U.S., caused at least partially by our incompetently handled pullout from Afghanistan and a very poor choice of words by Biden in explaining U.S. requests and intentions, according to Trump, He says Biden's first statement was that Russia could have some of Ukraine, no problem. And I continue to quote Trump, the bloody and expensive assault began and continues to this day. That is all history, but now it it, it does it end, and it must end now. And then he says, start by telling Europe that they must pay at least equal to what the U.S. is paying to help Ukraine. They must also pay us retroactively the difference, a staggering $125 billion we are paying four to five times more, and I'm not sure where he gets that number, and this fight is far more important for Europe than it is for the U.S. Next, tell Ukraine that there will be little more money coming from us unless Russia continues to prosecute the war. So, uh, you know, there's some interesting nuance and back and forth and typical Trump phrasing, which is a little bit hard to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I tend, look, I agree uh, that the foreign policy decisions made by the Biden administration are appalling. Mm-hmm. They invite they invite problems. There is no question. It's hard to argue with that. I think only uh, the president's uh, Twitter team w- could openly disagree with the massive, massive Biden foreign policy failures. I don't think there's any way around that. No, um, no I mean, it doesn't matter. It's Trump. It can be anybody else saying it. It's a serious problem. Yeah, look what he did in, when, or, or, when we left Afghanistan. How much money did we leave behind in weaponry? vehicles, um, airplanes, why would we, aircraft. Why would we, why would we leave anything behind? I don't care if it why costs... Why do Saigon all over again? <laughs> right? I don't care if it costs half the money just to ship it back home, right? Uh, we're, we're doing... Now, we could have just shifted that those weapons and all that to Ukraine because that's what we've pretty much done. So we lost those weapons, lost all that artir- artillery, all the planes, all the helicopters, and now we're just sending Ukraine more. So it's like we're mass-producing that has to have some effect to our own military. It has to have some effect to our economy. It has to have some effect to the, the morale of this country. He was supposed to build back um, better, right? That was his slogan, build back better. He was gonna be a president to both parties. This is, has not been a bipartisan president. He is, he is definitely not representing both sides. Um, I don't know if he knows what side he's representing anymore. Uh, I, I believe that he is a puppet to higher ups, but we can't keep bleeding out Americans and the taxpayers to fund a war that isn't our fight. We have to, as Americans, we have to realize that we can't go into a country and make it like America. We tried to do it in Iraq. We tried to make it the America of the East. It's not possible. We can't fight other people's wars. We can't, it's just, we can't afford it. 
This goes back to understanding that, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, this is one reason for optimism from my perspective. Are there going to be difficult times? Sure, there can always be difficult times. That's always a possibility. Mm -hmm. We don't live in a world where we're guaranteed to live the, you know, the sparkly, uh, perfect world of the 1950s in America all the time. And in fact, the 1950s in America weren't sparkly and perfect. That's a bunch of propaganda. How many people... Have you seen the pictures of children sheltering under their little uh, steel leg desks in order to uh, protect themselves from a nuclear explosion? Mm -hmm. That's the 1950s too, don't forget. Uh, but we have this idea that somehow we're owed uh, a, a perfect existence and that, they say, we were told, is the American dream. It's just not true. Mm -hmm. It's not true. It's never been true. There is no such thing as a golden age. It wasn't the founding. It wasn't the 50s. And the fact that we may have to face difficult times now it should not be a shock or a surprise. But here's the reality. It's also true that there is always opportunity. There is always a need for things. You want, you want to have a living? Make things people need or want. People will pay for it. Look at the 30s. Look at the time that we look back and everybody's scared and looking at it going, oh, we don't want the Great Depression again. And look, I don't want it either. But the reality is, if you made things that people needed or wanted or could provide it in the 1930s, you got paid. Mm -hmm. People paid you. That's because whether or not the currency is working, whether or not you have money, there is always a way for me to give you something of value in exchange that you need in exchange for something that I need. Is it difficult? Does it require more creativity? Yes. But the point is, we're not somehow more evil than we used to be. That's simply not true. Now, is there a need to understand and to recognize that there are immutable laws of morality and that if we deny that reality, we are actually simply trampling human rights? We're taking away life and property and the right to pursuit of happiness from our neighbors if we fail to recognize that there are unchanging laws of morality, that things are right and wrong um, intrinsically? Yes, yes, we are. That's a problem. But it doesn't mean that somehow it's all, all is lost. Look back at founding father Alexander Hamilton, who was playing the same kind of games with money then, with other people's money, that SVB was, is playing this, was playing last week. Mm -hmm. It's exactly the same type of thing. And exactly the same types of people were hurt. After the American War for Independence was not this golden age. It wasn't lovely and wonderful. People were hurting. People had died. People were facing financial ruin. This is, these were the realities. And there was a way to work our way out of it and to combat the bad guys at that time, like Alexander Hamilton, the same way we would combat the bad guys now. It works exactly the same. And, you know, when we look at and ask, and, and what about war? How does it work? Well, guess what? We, are, we do know there is a way to tell what just war is. And in fact, it is an entire study. Mm -hmm. It's not hard. There are six points that we can go through. Um, the best articulation that I know of is from uh, Dr. Greg Bonson. He uh, died in the 1990s, and his work uh, from b just before that period is fantastic. It's phenomenal. But you can go and look, and in, in six direct points, examine and, 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 uh, and ascertain, should we be involved in this war or not? Well, it's not that hard to tell. And, and, and how do you tell, how do we get out of a place? Maybe we shouldn't have been there. We, maybe we, should we have been in Afghanistan or not? That'll be something that we'll debate. Should we have been in Vietnam? Should we have been in Korea? Should we have been in World War II? Should we have been in World War I? Should we have been, <laughs> ask, ask the question, any war, how do you tell? Well, 
number one, there's a way to tell. And number two, whether or not we should have been there, if we're already there, then there is a way out. Mm -hmm. There is a way to get out that doesn't make it worse than when we got there. And that's the problem with the way we left Afghanistan. And it's why we have a problem possibly in Ukraine right now. It's because we're failing to recognize that you can tell. There, there is a way to tell. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's actually good news. It, it does mean that you have to recognize that you can't just do whatever feels good because you have to acknowledge that there are higher moral laws. <laughs> but the good news is there are answers and there's a way out and there's a way forward. And it's really not that hard. It's really not that hard. Yeah. And I also, I think that these political leaders, um, Biden doesn't want to seem like he lost something, right? He can't play this. We went to Ukraine to help, but it didn't work out. So we're going to, we're going to stop funneling money there. It's, they don't take a loss as a loss, like, and move on. I mean, Stacey Abrams lost twice in the governor race in the state of Georgia. And now she's talking about running again. It's almost like, Hey, just, just stop, just stop wasting money and pull out and just be done with it. And I, and I think that would be, you know, cut your losses is a, is a saying, cut your losses, no or was it Kenny Rogers, Learn, no one to hold them, no one to fold them. Um, a man's got to know his limitations. <laughs> that's right. We have to know when it's time, like, hey, is this the best for my country? A father has to do it, is this best for my family? All right, a country, a president has to do it, is this best for our country? You can't say right now, giving Ukraine more and more money as our country is spiraling down out of control is the best option. That's, that's all it is. It's, is it the best option for our country? No, it's not. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.